fucking hate the flu. I don't know whose great idea it was to like put this disease around and why people keep deciding to like breathe on each other and not wash their hands. And I just, I've been so sick since literally I've been sick pretty much since Thanksgiving, like on and off. And stress doesn't help, but I have been off and on like sore throat, everything, you know, fever, all that. I've gone through the cycle at least three times now. So I'm glad to be back. I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm audible. And so I didn't want to leave y'all hanging anymore. So here we are. Episode six of White Girl's Guide to Hip Hop. Uh, We're talking about West Coast hip hop today. We're getting through it. Regions, y'all. It's our last one. Let's do it. I'm a believer in letting people be people If you're humble and conceited I still see you as a nigga I don't be taking offenses To how the devil be working I know that God is my witness Fulfilling my purpose I've been a real down to Marsh At the bar chick I'll pick up your 3 a.m. call chick Loving basketball chick I'll move your car chick Late night trip to Target I know what I bring To the table, to the table, I know what I bring To the table, to the table Alright y'all, West Coast Hip Hop So I'm gonna be a little biased because my favorite girl Kalani, who you just heard The intro track, that was Kalani Um, She is literally my queen, I love her so much But I'm gonna show some love to some other artists from the West Coast Because I feel like... They deserve it because Kalani did not start West Coast Hip Hop. And so let's talk a little bit about the history and then we can talk about the girl that I love so much. But so anyway, so West Coast Hip Hop really started in the 60s, um, kind of when R&B was coming up and it was there was, you know, civil rights and, you know, all these things happening on the East Coast, like we've talked about so heavily before in this podcast. But, you know, in history books and um Yeah, I I guess like mainly history books and maybe some any historical content that you may come across in terms of activism or civil rights. You're really not hearing a whole lot about the West Coast. Um, You know, I have a degree in history and we really only spent time on the West Coast talking about the creation of Hollywood and, you know, the Jewish community that moved out there or the gold rush of the 1800s. But in 19, in the 1960s, there was a lot of uh, police brutality in LA, just like there was in Selma, just like there was um, in countless other cities around the United States. But so one, one event in particular kind of paved the way for R&B and hip hop to kind of mold what it became in in a in you know west coast la which was the watts riots of 1965 and the watts riots were you know pretty similar to the rodney king riots that we've talked about um on episode two the quick history but it's also they were also really similar to everything that happened in ferguson missouri um back in 2012 and so or sorry 2014 where you're going to see you know, one single event of racism between police and an African-American individual, and then a community, 
you know, showing response to that inequality. And so the Watts riot started out basically as a police stop of a driver and his family was in the car. And after that stop, basically, you know, an argument ensued and then a fight broke out between um, the police officers and family members of the driver. And so, you know, in response to that, it was called, you know, police brutality. It was blamed on that. But the community had six days of looting and arson, which resulted in 34 deaths and over 4,000 members of the National Guard getting called to L.A., And this was actually the worst protest that California had seen prior to the Rodney King riots. And so it really started the conversation of, you know, of national attention, so to speak, of police brutality in in communities that were heavily populated with races that were not white. Um, So following that in 67, a man by Bud Schulberg created this kind of space called the Watts Writers Workshop. And it basically was like a place for individuals of the Watts neighborhood, which where this is where the Watts riots took place. It's a neighborhood of LA to kind of freely express themselves, whether that was through spoken word or music. And from that, there was actually a group that was created called the Watts Prophets. And they were members of the members of the group basically had moved from states like Texas and Louisiana to the West Coast. And so it was this group that had, you know, wanted to speak what they had experienced in their home states and then what they were experiencing transitioning into the West Coast. But the Watts, the Watts Prophets, I cannot talk today, guys. The Watts Prophets recorded uh, a tr- uh, album called Rap in Black in a White World in 71, in 1971. And that was really the first kind of version of R&B hip hop that we had seen on the West Coast until the 1980s. So then moving out of the 60s and into the 70s, you may have heard this term before, pretty really popular group, um, not pretty, but a very popular group is a world ca- world class wrecking crew. Now, before it became world class, it was just the wrecking crew and it was started by Alonzo Williams, um, who was a DJ in Compton. And he, you know, he would DJ at parties and venues, kind of similarly to what we were seeing Grandmaster Flash or, you know, anyone else out of the East Coast, what they were doing in the 70s with disco and funk. That was being kind of mirrored in California um, from DJs like Alonzo. So he had basically started the Wrecking Crew under his, you know, other names that he was using. Disco Construction was one. He never used really his real name. But so basically he kind of started the Wrecking Crew with this other DJ. And then they, long story short, they parted ways a little bit prior to Alonzo Williams creating a world famous after hours nightclub called Eve's After Dark. And if you were really like, if you ever listened to like Kiss FM, like late at night in the, you know, mid 2000s, like 2007, 2008, Eve's After Dark was always the, uh, like that's where they would play the music on Kiss FM. So if you like after like nine 30, like when it was no longer like, uh, 
child appropriate music when you could play, you know, not edited out, right? So swear words weren't being edited out. Anything that was being played on Kiss FM was coming from the DJ booth at Eve's After Dark and they would promote Eve's on Kiss FM. So that's how I've known about Eve's After Dark. I've never been to Compton. That's like on my bucket list. Um, But I've known about Eve's After Dark for a while. So long story short, Alonzo Williams started that nightclub and right before he had started Eve's After Dark, he kind of parted ways with this other DJ and then created a group known as the World Class Wrecking Crew. Um, and you may have heard of them. They were really popular in the 1980s. There's, they've been kind of associated with MTV over the years in our, you know, middle millennial generation MTV, what we know it as, um, you know, the Hills life. But so... Within the world rec- world class wrecking crew WCWC in the 1980s, DJ Yella, Alonzo Williams, Dr. Drew kind of started this group, and it was, you know, it was really like this kind of promotion dance group. You know, they were primarily funk, um, but they would perform at clubs around around LA before kind of settling into Eve's After Dark. So then, you know, with the 1980s. The West Coast, just similarly to the East Coast, was seeing electronic funk. You know, they were seeing more experimentation, kind of like, uh, you know, the groups like Devo, right? They have that song, Whip It. That was very much experimental music in the 1980s. And so the West Coast was finally seeing these things in the 80s, but fusing them with old school sound. So they were kind of creating their own their own style of hip-hop whereas on the east coast you were seeing very much a conscious like we are going to focus on city you know conversation um the west coast was kind of trying to make it their own instead of just taking everything because they were having different experiences than what you know anyone else in the u.s was having even if they did have some similarities they wanted to be able to tell their story the way that they could so joining um Joining World Class eventually became, you know, added uh, Dr. Dre and Yella. Um, Dr. Dre, we'll get into him in a little bit, um, but he's known for, you know, Beats Headphones. He signed Eminem. And there's a, you know, a lot more to Dr. Dre um, than I realized, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So that's the 1980s. And so once really the 1980s hits, you're going to see a little bit of you know, growth through the 1980s and, you know, hip hop is kind of finding its groove, right? For a funk reference. Um, but it's not really until night until like right at the turn of the decade. So like 89 to 92 is when we're really going to see hip hop take off from the West coast and it gain national attention. So today, uh, we're really going to kind of just stay in the LA, Oakland, Bay area. There's so much more on the West Coast, but I feel like just kind of focusing on these three cities of California will really give you um, a good idea of what hip hop in the West Coast, it seems like kind of fits really into like three main categories, right? You've got gangster rap, you've got G-Funk, which is, you know, gangster rap mixed with funk. Um, And then you've got mob music from San Francisco. So I feel like even though today, you know, if we look at artists, um, you know, like Brockhampton or 
Kalani or Kendrick. Like they all have very different sounds, but they all have underlying tones that kind of fit into those categories that help define who the West Coast is. You know, similarly to the East Coast, we're really going to see a lot of pride from the city that they're from. You know, West or Midwest, like we talked about, Cleveland has a lot of pride, you know, but St. Louis doesn't really have a lot of pride. If you're from Houston, like in the Dirty South, Houston is Dirty South, right? Like you are Houston, vice versa. Um, but West Coast, they really encompass that sun sand beach kind of feel into their personalities, even if they are from Compton or even, you know, if they're from the Bay, um, they definitely encompass California life. You know, Snoop Dogg, Smoking Weed, um, he's had a few albums that he's had California road signs on the front or, you know, Kendrick Lamar always repping Compton. Um, and those are things we'll get into today. So, uh, you know, rappers that were categorized under West Coast, we've got Snoop Dogg. Um, Now, actually, let me backtrack. Before I start talking about rappers, I just picked a few handful. I don't want to... It's not that I don't want to cover everyone, but there are so many artists out of West Coast where it kind of gets overwhelming. And if you are new to hip hop and you just want a brief, uh, you know, intro, I'm trying to kind of give everyone past and current artists. And then we can talk about more later on. But I also feel like too, there's so many up and coming artists out of this area that are really gaining traction right now. And so I would like to spend more time in the West Coast not just on one episode. I don't want to be here all day. And I most certainly know that your car commute is not three hours to work every day. So I'd rather not have you stuck on this podcast that long. So that being said, I picked only like four, no, I picked like seven artists from the West Coast that have defined my musical taste um, and have made an impact on my preferences in hip-hop. So, that being said, uh, the first artist we're going to talk about is Snoop Doggy Dog. Um, I love Snoop Dogg. I've always loved Snoop Dogg since, you know, I don't even actually know when I found Snoop Dogg. I feel like I found him kind of around his, like, Peaches and Cream. came out in 2001 I clearly wasn't listening to it in 2001, but I think it had been like played on VH1 or MTV. Um, And so I had found Snoop Dogg through that, you know, and then he was in the news um, because he had changed his name to Snoop Lion and then he changed it back to Snoop Dogg. And now, you know, he's got a cooking show with Martha Stewart and he's got this like web web series um, where he basically just like smokes weed with artists and they talk about you know, things going on in culture or, uh, uh, you know, he talks about culture or music, you know, he had Miguel on and they were high. They were so gone. They lit, faded, whatever term you want to use. Like the whole interview was just like chill. Like that's just who Snoop Dogg is. Like he's so fucking chill and I love him, but Snoop Dogg basically got a start. Um, he released his 
his debut album uh, called Doggy Style um, in 1993, the year of my birth. Uh, Welcome to the world, Sarah. We're so happy you're here. Uh, Doggy Style is a great album if you really want to get into like 90s hip hop. Definitely not child appropriate. Like most hip hop is not, um, depending on what you know you want to introduce your kids to. But he was signed pretty much automatically to Dr. Dre's record label, uh, Death Row. And so, you know, since then, like I said, Snoop Dogg has done so much. Um, there's actually talk right now that he may be doing a gospel album because why not? But yeah, he he's really great if you want to get into like chill West Coast hip hop. Like he just, he has, he falls under uh, the G-Funk sound where it's just, you know, bobbing your head, chilling out. And I'll play you some of his music right now. She used to be my homeboy's lady, lady. 80 degrees when I tell that trick, please raise up off these in your teeth because you get none of these. At eight, at eight, at eight. As I mob with the dog pound, feel the breeze. Say, you know, I'm just laid back. Okay, so then you've got Kendrick Lamar. Um, I can't do a West Coast podcast episode without talking about Kendrick. K-Dot, Kung Fu Kenny, um, whichever name you want to reference him by. Uh, Kendrick Lamar is literally the GOAT. Uh, He has done nothing but succeed since he really started gaining traction in like 2012. Kendrick Lamar, he's got, you know, five studio albums out right now with Damn uh, being his most recent album. It came out in April. I think it came out like a week after Joey Badass's album. So it was like April like 14th or something Um, because he released that track called The Heart, uh, The Heart Part 4 the Friday before Joey's album came out. And then he released, he released humble the day Joey's album came out and then damn came out the week after. Um, so it was like all this back to back, but he, his first album came out in 2010, kind of, you know, he was an independent artist. Um, he is signed to top dog entertainment, which is an indie record label. He's been signed to them, I think since 2012. So that would have made his second album, which is Good Kid, Bad City, Mad City, not Bad City. Um, But I actually saw him. So I, my first year ever, South by Southwest, I had just moved to Austin. So it was like 2000, yeah, it was 2012 because it was the same year that Mad City came out. And I waited, Spotify House had an event. So this was like when Spotify was good during South By. They're shit now because they're all private shows um, and they pick terrible artists to play. But they, it was before like the east side of Austin. So if like you've ever been to Austin or you live here and you're listening to this podcast, you'll remember before the east side started being gentrified and all these like stupid like multi-million dollar condos started going up there was literally nothing like the east side was like rundown homes and like giant empty like ditches of dirt right and so during spot during south by the east side was really good for like fader fort converse uh spotify um and a few other like big venue shows like multi-day showcases and so Spotify was set up in like this warehouse and Kendrick was supposed to play well he did play but um and that was before Spotify was like a 
they didn't have an RSVP system. So it was like first in first out or one in one out kind of rule. And so people would line up. And so me and my, my one roommate, we walked like 10 blocks to go to the Spotify house and see Kendrick. And we waited in line for four and a half hours, saw him for free. And it was one of the best free shows I've ever been to my entire life. I mean, it doesn't top Drake at Fader for two years in 2016, but it's definitely like top five experiences for me at South by. And now, like I said, uh, or at South by and Spotify is just like a shitty event to go to. So if you're coming here for South by, don't waste your time at Spotify because it's invite RSVP only and it sucks. But anyway, so Kendrick is just like, killing it right so he just won like five grammys last weekend um he has done nothing but incredible features on everything that he does and he actually there was this track release today um february 2nd and uh with him in the weekend and i tweeted out if you're following me on twitter i feel like every weekend track is the same like he doesn't do anything different on any track he ever makes but Kendrick, this was like the first time like Kendrick and The Weeknd like released like a weekend track together. And I just feel like this was the first time that I didn't hear Kendrick just go hard on his feature, like mellowed down because it was a weekend track. So I was super disappointed in that. But he's done incredible features. Like he did that fucking problem song with ASAP Rock. He's done so much. Like, Kendrick is just, he is an incredible artist, but he also is a smart artist. And so if you think about, you know, anyone who is, you know, in the game right now, like, they're either there because they want to make a million dollars or they just want to be super famous. And like Kendrick, just like, he just has his art, you know, like at the Grammys, for instance, just his performances, like he, he takes the time to like develop what his art is going to look like. Like if you look at, you know, the music video for humble, he's friggin' lighting his hair on fire in the video, or he's wearing like a, like the Pope robes. Um, I know there's probably a word for those, like the outfit and I'm a terrible Catholic, but whatever. Um, you know, he's wearing that and like, he just is an all encompassing artist. And I don't think that hip hop would be where it's at if Kendrick didn't do the things that he did. And I think one thing, honestly, that like to say, like he is the, like the best artist in the last like 10 years, right. Is that Kendrick has the ability to take conscious, socially conscious conversation and insert it into pop songs. So if you look at really, I mean, any track, like if you look at All Right. I don't talk about it, be about it every day I sequel. If I got it, then you know you got it. Heaven, I can 
reach you. Pet dog, pet dog, pet dog, my dog, that's all. Big back and chat, I trapped them back for y'all. I rap, I black on tracks, so rest assured. My rights, my wrongs, I write till I'm right with God. When you know we've been hurt, been down before. Nigga, when our pride was low, looking at the world like, where do we go? Nigga, and we hate poor, poor. Wanna kill us dead in the street for sure. Nigga, I'm at the preacher's door. My knees getting weak and my gun might blow, but we gonna be alright. Like, he literally talks about racial inequality, but, like, he, you know, he's always like, fuck it. Like, we're going to be all right. Like, we have our culture. We have each other. Like, we have our community. It doesn't matter what these racist assholes have to say. And so, but he makes it into a catchy track. And so you're hearing all of this conscious conversation, and you may not even realize it, but he's teaching you something in every single track that he puts out. And I really appreciate that about Kendrick. And... I've, I don't think I've ever met someone who doesn't like Kendrick Lamar or at least respect him. Um, and that says a lot because I have really picky friends and I have really picky internet followers, but that's another conversation for another day. All right. So moving right along. So next, um, we're going to talk about NWA. Um, and I've talked a lot about them before. Um, they took a big chunk of a quick history, which was like episode two of this podcast. Um, but just to like recap, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on them. But just to like recap, you know, they had their track, Fuck the Police. Ice Cube is part of NWA. Uh, and Fuck the Police kind of came, became the theme song for the Rodney King riots that happened in 1992. NWA, they're from Compton, but they really kind of spearheaded real gangster rap um, from the West Coast, um, specifically, you know, covering police brutality and inequality and, you know, the financial segregations that Compton saw. The members of NWA, you know, clearly obviously split ways, um, but Easy e died in 95. Um, and there's actually a really good book that I read over the summer um, called Original Gangsters, The Birth of West Coast Hip Hop. It's by Ben Westhoff, and he's like a he's like a music journalist. He writes for The Times, or he did at least. Um, I don't know if he still does, but it touches on like the lives of Dr. Dre, Easy e Ice Cube, and like covers like each chapter is about each of those artists and like where they were at with either selling drugs or easy e has like 14 kids like he was just popping them out left and right um but talks about like where they were at when they got into hip-hop how nwa got started how you know compton got put on the map and so if you're looking for like real in-depth um conversation about birth of west coast or you just want to learn more it's a really good book to like go to Barnes and Noble and just sit in the aisle and, you know, pick up and read. It's a huge, thick novel. Um, and it took me like three months to read, but it's really good and it's really insightful. He like brings in interviews of people who are close to these individuals um, and talks about, you know, their life or anything that was like controversial with them growing up, like, you know, uh, drug charges or weapons charges or whatever. But it's a really great book to check out. So NWA, like I said, um, they're kind of, you know, the uh, the front runners for gangster rap on the West Side. So kind of going off NWA. Um, so you have Dr. Dre, like I said, uh, he his debut album on Death Row was called The Chronic. Um, and that's that album is really what made 
uh, gangster funk, G-funk, depending on what you want to call it. It really created a popular subgenre in the overall hip hop sound. Um, and at this point, you know, in the mid 1980s ish is kind of when the chronic came out. I think it was like 88. Um, you know, there really wasn't a multi diverse hip hop sound, you know, everyone kind of had like the same beats going on, you know, and G funk really, that's what kind of spearheaded this like cross cross breed of funk and hip hop beats. But so he really kind of started that sub genre conversation and really defining branches of hip hop. Dr. Dre, since then, uh, you know, he started beats by Dre really popular, really expensive headphones, really incredible headphones. Um, he did find Eminem. Um, we've talked about Eminem and he mainly produces now and makes a shit ton of money, but he kind of came out of all that history that we've just talked about. And that's where he's at now. So then we've got Tupac. Um, I talked about Tupac in the last episode with his beef with Biggie Smalls, Torius B.I.G. Uh, Tupac did die in 96. Um, he was assassinated shot um and there are over like 80 documentaries about tupac he definitely had like that gangster rap sound but he he is literally the most like beautiful lyricist you will ever find in like early hip-hop um and that's what i will always credit him for is having just beautiful insightful like the man was a genius like tupac literally was so incredibly smart and street smart book smart like he knew what he was talking about but and he sold that right like in his music he didn't sugarcoat anything he told it like it was um you know and he had that beef with biggie and there's a lot of controversy around that um which i've talked about but but so tupac is originally from the bay but moved to la um right before he was killed um he dated jada pinkett smith um, which a lot of controversy in that new documentary that just came out. Uh, Jada had a lot to say on Twitter, basically, you know, that things did not happen the way that this movie portrayed them. And it was a movie about Pac that shouldn't have probably been made because a lot of it was wrong. Um, but Tupac just, you know, I'm always really curious about what where artists would be if they didn't die and I actually just I actually wrote an article about this a couple weeks ago I guess now on lunch table you know talking about how music uh post-death really just like it immortalizes an artist and I think that you know of course like music has been released for artists after they die you know if you have a discography bank um, of records that hadn't been released, you know, sure. Like that can further define how people see you as an artist. But I think that we'll, you know, we'll never know who Tupac would have become or just like Biggie or, you know, if, even if you're a little peep fan, right? Like you'll never know where these artists would have climaxed to and what would have, killed their career or you know if they're 60 and just producers or just living off you know money they're making from movie creds or tv or i think that it's really unfortunate that tupac and biggie they're being immortalized on t-shirts at forever 21 and i don't think you could have predicted like where he would have went had he not been killed um so yeah so tupac like y'all man like you gotta respect you gotta respect the art 
And I just, I don't know. It makes me really mad when people like blindly just like pick their favorite artists because they really know nothing about the art, you know, or they know nothing about hip hop. And they're like, well, I guess I'm going to pick Tupac because everyone else does. But, you know, don't take the time to like fall in love with the artist. Um, So that's my that's my goal for y'all this week. Really like help yourself to find why you love an artist or find lyrics that speak to you. You know, find an album that like really changed your life Uh, because it's really great to be able to talk about those with, you know, and have that kind of sparkle in your eye for that passion and that love that you have. So finally, we're getting into her. I, Kalani will literally never hear this podcast and that's okay. But I love Kalani with all my heart. Um, she is really like the first, the first woman artist that helped me fall in love with women in hip hop. Because, you know, I'm going to be totally honest with y'all. Like, and, you know, if you're listening to this and you disagree, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, but I have really been kind of a firm believer that like hip hop is a male genre. Um, I'm all for equality. Don't, I'm not saying like women don't deserve to be in hip hop. I'm just saying I, I like male rappers more than I like females. And it's just my personal preference. I don't know. Like I like more of the gangster rap sound. Like, and so with women, I feel women in hip hop are like either one extreme or the other. And they're either super feminist, or not feminist, but super feminine, um, and they're sexy, and they're pretty, and, you know, they have, like, high-pitched sounds to their vocal cords, and, you know, and then you've got, you know, I don't know, for, like, the sex appeal, you could say, like, Beyonce, and then, um, I don't know why Cassie's coming to mind, but if you've ever heard of Cassie... I was thinking of like her one track that she's like belly dancing in. Um, it's called like me and yours. It was like a one hit wonder. It was a stupid song or, you know, like, so you think about like the sex appeal, they're using like their body to sell, right? Like they want to be a sexy artist. Aaliyah was kind of on that man. RIP that woman. I, I love Aaliyah so much too, but then you have that other extreme of like masculinity like women feel like they have to be masculine in order to be taken seriously in hip-hop like missy elliott and so kalani was really one of the first women in hip-hop where i found a medium ground that i could relate to in her music where she wasn't too much of one or too much of the other where it was distracting and i have literally been in love with her for a year and a half now so I saw Kalani at the MTV Woody Awards in 2016, and I had really, I really had no idea who she was. She had been nominated for a Grammy for, it was like upcoming, like underground artist, I think was the category, or like underground artist mixtapes, because she had only had a mixtape out at that point, Um, but she was nominated for a Grammy. And she was dating my boy, Kyrie Irving from the Cavs, um, super young. Like, and before that, like Kalani had been on a singing show. She was in like a musical group. Um, and she was actually found by Nick Cannon. So she was on this singing show. It was, I don't think it was America's Got Talent. Maybe it was. Um, but basically like she broke off from the group in like the finals, you know, it just didn't work out. And Nick Cannon, she was like 14 at the time. And Nick Cannon literally told her, you need to finish high school, 
and I will bring you out to LA and paid for an apartment for her for like a year so she could record and their homies and uh and so she just like released this mixtape it got nominated for a Grammy and um you know she's been doing it ever since like she's not you know she hasn't really been on the down since then basically saw her at the at the MTV Woody Awards which is another event that goes on during South by it's a free award show um it's always sponsored by like giant food like one year it was sponsored by Pepsi last year was Doritos and it's just like free food everywhere and they just like like ASAP Ferg hosted last year. You know, it's like this huge event within South by. And so Kalani played and then maybe like three weeks after South by was when she tried to commit suicide because all these cheating rumors had come out about her and Kyrie and she was cheating on him with party next door. Long story short, she, uh, attempted suicide and, lived um and had all this artist support like drake and you know all these artists come and support her and then she kind of fell off the radar so she you know was in recovery and you know doing what she needed to do to for self-care and then a year ago like three days ago um she released literally one of the most influential albums of my life um and i when i say that like y'all i'm not exaggerating Sweet Sexy Savage is literally a top five album for me and will probably be like in the hip hop R&B genre for my entire life. It was one of the first albums I ever felt fully connected to in every single trap, like track. I had an experience that related to every single song on her album. And I kid you not, I listen to at least one song off the album every single day. Every day I leave the office, I turn on Sweet Sexy Savage while I drive down the highway. It is my favorite album of like the last five years from like a women's perspective Um, because, you know, it covers it covers heartbreak and it covers self-confidence and it covers you know, questioning love, but falling in love and falling in love with yourself and having you know, your support group and being thankful that you do have someone in your life. And, um, you know, you always try to pinpoint, you know, people's influences when you make an album, but this one, I honestly, I was just like, yep, that song's for me. Yep. That song's for me. Oh, I relate to this one. Oh, I relate to this one. And it's actually, you know, kind of funny because there's one track called thank you where it's talking about, you know, just having like natural support, like someone just like, there's no push or pull for someone to just love and support you. And it talks about, you know, thanks for watching me walk across the stage. Thanks for, you know, walking me through heartbreak. Um, and that track, I've really had the fun opportunity to use it in my day job, um, with the nonprofit I work for. Cause we do, uh, we do these certification trainings basically in the population we serve are, you know, individuals who didn't necessarily go to college or maybe they didn't even graduate high school or they have felonies or they're single moms trying to change their career. Um, and we do graduation ceremonies at the end of every class. And I make these really cool, fun, like graduation videos. And I've been able to use her song to kind of like 
perk everyone up and, you know, celebrate graduation. So it's been really cool to bring Kalani kind of, you know, full circle into my life. Um, but she just, man, I just, I love Kalani so much. And she's done, she's worked a lot with g Easy. That's another, uh, Bay artist. I, ca- I probably could have brought him up. Um, but you know, she's been on the Suicide Squad soundtrack. She was on, uh, Fast and Furious 7 soundtrack. And she just like, she is very much an underground artist. Um, I her she had a song over the summer, uh, Crazy, which is on Sweet Sexy Savage, um, was on the radio for a little bit. Um, but overall, like she is just killing it as a natural artist. And I think that's one just great thing about West Coast hip hop is that these artists like are, you know, becoming household names, but they're doing it for the art. Whereas I feel like there's a lot of artists elsewhere that are doing it just to be successful, right? It's not about just making music. Like, I feel like so many artists on the West Coast are like. Um, But then also this year with Kalani, too, uh, she won Billboard's Music Woman of the Year for... Breaking Breaking Barriers, I think, was the... Is the um, category. But it's basically because, you know, she she is LGBTQ. Um, She identifies as queer um she's had female relationships and male relationships and she's very open about that um she's you know can be really sexy or be super gangster um and she did a track you know uh with a female rapper out of london who i love a lot her name's little sims you know and they have this whole track about like i know what i bring to the table like i don't need to prove myself to you like i'm just like a cool chick Um, and so she's broken a lot of barriers, like within hip hop specifically, she's been working with, uh, Mary J. Blige and a lot of artists like that. But Kalani really opened me up to women in hip hop. And so for that, I'm like super thankful because before I was like, I really hate, I really, I really did not like Missy Elliott for a long time. Mary J. Blige is, I'm a huge Mary J. Blige fan. always have been, but I've always been it's not my first choice when I turn a playlist on. It's like, I want to listen to a women, a female rapper, you know? So, yeah. So, Kalani's my boo. Um, but so, kind of backtracking, um, just kind of touch base on a few things because I've kind of gone on lots of tangents. Um, but, like I said, you have mom music, which is another subgenre of uh, hip-hop, and that comes from the Bay, too. So Kalani's from the Bay. A lot of people are from the Bay. Jeezy's from the Bay. Um, and that's, you know, kind of Sam Fran's own sound. It started in the 80s with artists like Too Short and uh, E-40. Um, and then, you know, like I said, we also have G-Funk, which is another subgenre of hip-hop. Um, but, yeah, just like... You know, I feel like West Coast hip hop just it's made its own name. And I feel like people are always, you know, before I really like looked into the birth of West Coast hip hop or I read that book by Ben Westhoff, I just feel like people's opinion about West Coast hip hop is just like, oh, well, they stole it from the East Coast and they don't really do anything special and they're not that great. And I feel like there's so many pioneers that come out of West Coast even with like more in modern day, but I feel like so much more in, you know, pre 2000 than I really realized until I started looking into it. You know, you know about NWA, they're, you know, an OG of hip hop, but I feel like in terms of styles, like G-Funk or mom music, um, 
or, you know, even like the celebration of smoking weed, um, you know, that kind of transitioned into like Wiz Khalifa and Pittsburgh, but you've got, you know, Snoop Dogg who really started promoting it. Um, you know, I feel like just the West Coast just has done so much for the industry and I feel like we don't give them enough credit even today. Like I feel like, oh, you know, Brockhampton, they painted their faces blue, like they're weird or um, oh, you know, there's Kendrick again winning a bunch of awards. Like I feel like we're always talking about like the same three groups all the time. Um, but we're not giving the overall content creation the respect that west coast hip-hop deserves so i'm glad i could teach you guys a little bit about stuff because i really didn't know you know how it all kind of came about it's very mirrored with east coast but you know there's its own story right and so i'm really glad that like i got to talk about this today because i didn't really know about how the wrecking crew got started in the 70s um you know and how djing and that kind of thing took off um but that's really the end of our region conversation, y'all. I kind of zoomed through this, and but it's been like, what, like four episodes now. So that's really great. Um, I'm excited to kind of dip further over the next couple weeks um, and get really into artist discographies and bring some guests in and hang out and talk about music and kind of finish out season one of White Girl's Guide. Um super stoked you guys are listening so much love um if you are listening to me in soundcloud and you have an iphone or itunes head over the itunes podcast app on your phone or on the desktop version um and rate this podcast let me know your thoughts send me comments um share this with your friends tweet me out uh i don't like hate tweets but if you don't like something i said today let me know um and give me some feedback. Let me know to who you want me to dive into. Do you want me to talk about subgenres of hip hop next or specific artists um, only? Uh, so tweet me uh, at Sarah underscore Loretta. I'll put my Twitter in the in the uh, notes for today. But I hope you have a great weekend and I inspired you to go check out some hip hop. Go listen to Doggy Style and get yourself in the weekend mood and I'll see you guys next week. To the table, I try my best to be loving and give my all when it's needed. I make the most of my time and try to learn all it teaches. Don't take my kindness for weakness, steady dealing with madness. So I pick up my chalice, cause what's life without balance? Too much shit on my mental, don't pretend like you get it. You would call me a medic if you knew where my head is. Damn, if you knew where this led it, all my vices are dead. If you know what I'm going through, why the fuck would you stress me? Take me back to the basics, understanding what's worth chasing cause time is of the essence get me out the matrix i pick my battles and win you can't relate where i've been i don't say much cause i don't need much in this world full of sin body and soul is detached and my heart's got a patch you can't drive without looking and then expect not to crash but i know god gave me purpose i'll take my title as king and i'll take a seat at the table because i know what i bring know what i bring